0: all of you this morning Uh, so just to say these aren't props or illustrations Mary was asking that question it's just just what they are Um, but yeah as I was thinking about um, our time together this morning um, I was just so reminded of the goodness that we enjoy together as a family on mission Um, when that video was playing about this call to missions and supporting our folks that go overseas um, I just felt my heart stirred I was like I'm so glad to be a part of a church, uh, that does this, right? That's living on mission. And, um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Similar to Daniel, um, this has been a long journey for me. I've been a part of the Alliance since, um, I was in high school and I'm just so grateful for the way that God is moving and in our family, um, around the world. But then Daniel got up and, uh, yeah, just brought that home for us, right? Like when I say home, I mean like right there. Um, and so, you know, we just have other opportunities to partner uh, with God on mission. And it could be as simple as just walking outside um, and partnering with what's happening at the Victory Garden. So I felt like as Daniel was, was preaching, I was like going to just come up here and I was going to be the closer. Uh, there was just so much good stuff in that. Um, so Daniel, thanks for, for sharing that with us this morning. Uh, before I get into the scripture for this morning, I wanted to give a disclaimer, and I feel like I'm a disclaimer kind of guy. Um, I go through, I'm like, I always want to give the disclaimer. And as I was getting ready this morning, I was like fixing my hair so I look pretty for all of you. And as I was doing that, I was confronted with a reality that hasn't been true for me here uh, for as long as I've been a part of this church and doing some preaching and teaching. And that reality is like when I'm talking, you might be like, oh, something on Michael's arm, Um, like, like a thread in my shirt, but it's actually a tattoo. And I thought, I've been in enough conversations and meetings in the last couple of weeks now that the weather's turned. Uh, with friends and coworkers, where they're like, Did you get a tattoo? Um, or, like, I'm in a conference room and across the table, one of my coworkers is like looking at me and she's like whispering, like, kind of mouthing, Did you get a tattoo? And I'm like, Oh, because I'm pointing or I'm directing or I'm maybe scratch And I'm like, Yeah. So, I just wanted to tell you the story because I thought you might notice it. And I feel like it's a good story. And then you won't have to wonder, like, everybody else has been for the last couple of weeks as we've gotten into this exceptionally warm spring season. So anyway, um, I think it was late last summer, um, Brooke and I were at home, and we had this routine with our family where oftentimes many of our meaningful conversations happen with our kids and, to a surprising degree, our kids' friends in our bedroom. Um, And so there's this regular pattern that happens when Brooke and I go to bed that our kids who run a little bit of a later pattern than we do will circle into our room we have two leather chairs on the opposite side of our bed that face our bed and they will just plop down and they want to talk and so for Brooke and I we always want to create space to receive that right I mean it's an honor that our kids even want to be um, in our room and wanting to share so they'll come home from someplace I'll be in bed reading maybe we're both awake maybe one of us is awake Um, I think a decision got made one time that I was told that I was a part of and I was like when did this happen and they said it was that night in your room and I'm like I definitely didn't Participate in this conversation. Like, well, how was I supposed to know you were sleeping? It looked like you were awake. Um, so, all these conversations and things happen in our room. Well, Grant began to just bring his friends into our room. Um, and yeah, full disclosure here like, when I go to bed, I sleep in my underwear. And so, like, I'm laying, I might have the sheets like pulled up or whatever, but um, now I get like poked at, right? They're like joking with me about the dad bot and, and those kinds of things. So, all kinds of like raw, honest stuff happens. Um, in our room, well, one night, Grant was there uh, with Will, and we're talking and processing life. Uh, Will is who I call our firstborn. Uh, Will isn't our biological child, but he's been a part of our family for a long time, I think since he was seven, um, five. I'm not good at it dates and times. Uh, Will's been a part of our family since he was five. Um, his family, uh, he and his mom moved in just two doors down across the street from us um, and we began to just develop friendship and over time Will became just an integrated part of our family in addition to like maybe popping into our bedroom at night when he was a little guy. He'd just come to our house even when we were at home um, and we would only know that we don't really lock our doors because the neighbor would tell us, hey, your dog's been outside for a couple of hours and I think your front door is open, should I go over and put the dog in and close? I'm like, oh, Will must have stopped in, Um, and then he left. Um, So anyway, Will's been a part of our life for a really long time, but if you don't know Will, um, you'll see him here. Um, His mom passed away his sophomore year of high school, and he hasn't had an active relationship with his dad uh, for any part of his life. And so that also created a significant shift in what relationship looked like for us uh, with Will. And at some point, he just began to identify uh, me as Pa. He would call me Pa and Brooke Ma. And so I would call him my firstborn because he's technically older uh, than Grant by a few months. And so he's our firstborn and and we're like this surrogate mother and father. Well, before he was leaving for college, um, he's a student at Liberty University right now. Um, One night in our room, he hits us with like a surprising question. And it just, I mean, it smacked me right out of like the blue, he said, would you consider getting a family tattoo? 46 years old, never had a tattoo, certainly wasn't considering one at this stage in the game. Um, But man, like when he asked me that question, there was just something deep in my heart um, that I wanted to say yes to. And I don't know that Brooke and I really consulted about it, but I was like, yeah, um, I'd be willing to get a tattoo with you. And so he wanted to get a shared tattoo, um, something that just identified us as being one, like as being... Connected as being family and so I thought to myself. How do you say no to that? Um, And so I immediately said yes, and um, a couple of days later will called me and I can totally remember I was I was in my truck. I was on my way home from work So I answered the phone. He says hey, Pa." He says I just wanted to to say that you know I hit you with that tattoo question and like I know that you said yes, but I Understand that's kind of like you know something you probably weren't thinking about and maybe don't even want to do so if you don't want to do it, I'm okay with that. He was like, I get it, um, so he was totally like letting me off the hook, right? After like the dust had settled, and man, like I felt like so moved in that moment. Um, it's it just like his kindness and saying like, hey, even if you don't want to do it, like I understand, and it doesn't doesn't change how we feel about one another, right? Um, so you could just see his emotional IQ is like you know, 85, even though he's he's 19 at this point, and so we weren't able to get it in uh, before he left for liberty, but. Um, in December of last year, Grant and Will and I sat in a t- t- tattoo parlor in New Brighton and got the coordinates um, to where we live, which is that spot where all these conversations happen for us, right? Um, it's like our kitchen and our bedroom are like the heart of our home. And uh, for, for us, it's funny, like I'm standing here talking to you about this and like my kids are a part of this like routine in our bedroom. Uh, Mark O'Connor, who's Grant's friend, came to faith in our living room. And Mark has been a part of a lot of conversations um, in one of those leather chairs um, in our bedroom. And so, yeah, I just thought, you know, I'm going to tell the story about the tattoos. You know, like, I don't have an especially muscular, impressive arm, but you might, you know, you might be like, well, there's definitely something going on there, and I don't want to draw more attention to it. But I just thought, it's a good story, right? And it's a story about, like, how we're formed as a family, right? Um, Will and I don't share a bloodline, uh, but we share an eternity um, with the Heavenly Father loves us and who calls us family and so yeah I would just welcome any of you if you have stuff you want to talk about in process 170 Moffat Run Road I've got the coordinates here if you want to put it in your GPS and yeah be happy to have you sit down on the leather chair across from our bed and give me some warning though maybe for your own sake I'll you know I'll throw a hoodie on or something like that I'll spare you all that stuff but yeah so anyway if you're looking at it this morning now you know um this morning we're going to be looking at first Samuel chapter 8 verses 1 through 21. Uh, But before we get there, just a quick synopsis. I know we've had some excellent teaching that has led us to where we are um, in this story. But Samuel is a prophet and he's the last judge of the people of Israel. Uh, He's got a super cool story in terms of like how he even came to be. His mom, Hannah, um, was barren, right? We know the story about her crying out to the Lord and even being mistaken as being drunk because of her bitterness and sorrow. She cries out to the Lord by the priest and how God answers um, her prayer um, and blesses her with a son Samuel, who she dedicates back to the Lord. Um, So you see in that story, there's suffering, um, but there's deliverance. And then like we see her submit that good thing that she received um, from God right back to him. So super, super uh, fascinating and and just really great story. Uh, But where we're picking it up this morning... Um, Samuel 's an older man, and um, if you haven 't caught like the details between like Chapter One that I just talked about and Chapter Seven, um, check out the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, um, and you can see the other sermons that have led us to this point um, we're not going to read chapter seven this morning, but also just a, another really great story about who God is in the life of his people, um, Israel. Um, so just a quick backstory. the Philistines have been antagonistic to the Israelites for as long as they've been in, like, the areas, like, that they've journeyed through to the promised land. And so when I was thinking about the Philistines, they're always antagonistic, but they never have ultimate victory over Israel because of God's, like, hand in protecting them. Um, And so I was thinking about the Philistines, and I was like, you know what? So I was thinking about, I'm like, they're like the Cleveland Browns. there's always all this hype, and there's all this you know, like potential that they're actually going to finally like, do it, and they're going like, to claim ultimate victory over the Steelers, and people get all excited about it in Cleveland, and, and then it doesn't happen. Um, so that's kind of like who the Philistines are to the Israelites. Um, they're the Cleveland Browns, or the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, but anyway, they at some point capture the Ark. The Ark is returned to Israel. Um, you know, that's been talked about um, already. And so the Ark is resting in a place called Mizpah. And the Israelites, I think it's like a period of like 20 years, are lamenting and repenting. And Samuel's guiding them through this process of lamenting and repenting. And he was like, okay, if you want to be serious about this, give up your idols and all these gods and goddesses that you worship. And he's bringing people um, back to a right relationship with a father. And while all of that's happening, the Philistines get the bright idea that they're going to come and attack Israel again. And wouldn't you note, know even though Israel is, you know, moving back into this right relationship with the Lord, they get incredibly fearful and they cry and they moan and they go to Samuel and they ask for Samuel Samuel to pray on their behalf for God's protection and provision against the Philistines. And guess what? God shows up. All right. The Philistines are on the attack. It says that when they were within range of the Israelites, does anybody know what happens in chapter seven? A thunderclap happens that creates all kinds of disorientation for the Philistines. Um, I don't know what that looked like, and I don't know how it happened for the Philistines who were within range of the Israelites, and it didn't happen to the Israelites. But it creates all kinds of dissonance for the Philistines. They get confused, and they begin to flee. And then the Israelites, cool, they jump out of their like you know places, and they begin to uh, pursue the Philistines um, all the way to like Beth Car, and and then some. And so they have this great victory over the Philistines. But they didn't have to do anything to earn it, right? They just kind of cleaned up the spoils of that victory, all by the hand of God, right? All by God who had moved on their behalf. And so that brings us up to where we are in chapter eight. So if we have the passage, I'm going to ask Chris to, to put it up for us. It's a little bit longer. Um, you can stay seated. I'll just do my best to machine gun our way through these 21 verses. But I think it's important that we get um, all of the passage in this morning. Excuse me one second. Let me take this pinky. yeti. All right, you're probably already ahead of me now. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, not the one that we know, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the Israel, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly swear, shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fi- oh, I just read that line. I should have printed this larger. Um, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. You notice he's taking a lot, right? He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to a city. Super interesting passage, right? Um, we have this passage um, Um, transition that's happening um, with the people of Israel in terms of leadership. Um, And a pattern that's been pretty consistent in terms of how they um, engage the Lord. There's a a neat little ditty that a lady named Kay Arthur, she's like a Bible teacher. I think I remember seeing Kay Arthur books on Brooks nightstand for like 25 years now, um, 23 years. Um, But Kay Arthur says, has this neat little way of remembering uh, what's happening in 1 Samuel. She said that the priesthood corrupts, the prophet erupts, the theocracy is denied, judges subside, kings arise, but God abides. Um, so once they had rejected Yahweh, they soon determined that they needed a human king. God told Samuel to give them one, accompanied with the warning that because they had not properly honored him as high king, their national king would be no more righteous than they had been. First, the king would draft their sons into his army an army whose function was not only national defense, but also personal service to the king. The army would be a corps of slaves. Second, the king would take their daughters and relegate them to the kitchen and the bedroom. Third, the king would use his military power to steal the best of their land to give it to his favorite bureaucrats. Fourth, the king would take a tithe of their grain and wine. Uh, This was a pregnant prophecy, for it meant that the king would put himself in the place of God, receiving the tithe. Finally, the king would reduce the nation to slavery and the people would find themselves in a new Egypt, one of their own choosing this time. On that day, they would cry out to Yahweh, the true high king, but he would not hear them. The desire of the Israelites was to have a king that would make them like everyone else and primarily do two things, at least this was their hope, that he would judge them And he would fight for them. But they already had someone that perfectly filled those positions. And that person had put a whooping on all of the other kings. We just saw that in chapter 7. It's really insane when you think about it, right? After all that was said that no one should want, sons to be slaves, daughters to be slaves, to lose all that you have, the Israelites are like, sign me up, right? Um, After all that was said and done... They're like, uh, maybe can I get two of these? Well, guess what? Um, They got 42 of those and one queen that rivaled them all in her wickedness. So when I was thinking about just how silly this seems to us, right, God is giving this like really profound warning. We've never known God to lead them astray, right? In the whole history of their relationship with God as their king, he's never once lied to them or led them astray. And he's like, okay, if you choose a king, this is what you're going to get. And they're like, okay, sounds good, Right? It makes no sense to us. And I was thinking about how silly that seems to us. And as I was thinking about a way to illustrate that, I was thinking about all these epic fails that we see all over the internet. And I know that you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't. Um, But it's like all these things that you see somebody about to do, and you're like, I know what's going to happen, right? I've seen this before. You know it's going to be an epic failure. And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, what is a way to illustrate the silliness of this? And so this was my best attempt to illustrate the people of Israel, um, the people of Israel are that baboon, right? And they think that they have a really good idea. And I think that they're hopeful that it's going to work out in the end. But any of us that have been around for 15 minutes now, that's not going to end well for the baboon, right? But he's probably going to do it anyway. How many of us are parents and we're like, we watch our kids do things and it's like, that's not going to go so well. Um, I think about, like, for me as a dad with, like, you know, like, young sons, um, sometimes I'm like, I've, I've read that book. Um, I know how this ends. As a matter of fact, I starred in that story at one time. I know personally what's going to happen here. But, right, we do it anyway, right? We can't help ourselves sometimes. So like the baboon, um, Israel's like, all right, we've got a solution to our problem. And I'm pretty sure uh, we all know that it's not going to work out. You can take that down the hoop. Um, so the history of Israel was that they had an all-knowing, unlimited perspective, perfect judge that actually authored the law book. And an undefeated, actually undefeatable warlord, but they wanted a self-serving, self-defeating man to judge and battle on their behalf. J.D. Greer says they want a king they can see and touch and control because they do not fully trust God. And God rightly calls this rejection Because everything about his character proves that they should be able to trust him. So let's look at God as a judge throughout the scriptures that led us to where we are today. Um, God's perfect judgment is actually first seen in Genesis 3. Right after Adam and Eve have sinned and God pronounces judgment to the serpent Eve and Adam. But in the judgment we find the first glimpse of good news. And immediately following it we see God cover their shame with grace and compassion as he closed their nakedness. In Deuteronomy 32, 4, it says, the rock, it's referring to God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that it was Yahweh who fought for Israel and gave them victory in battle. Some great passages in Exodus, uh, we see God hardened Pharaoh's heart Uh, But Pharaoh pursues the Israelites. And God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 30, it says, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. This is super sweet. As a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. I love that picture. Um, again, like I'm a dad. I've got three young lines myself. There's something that's different about um, carrying your son in this picture, right? Um, they should be able to carry themselves. Uh, but in this passage, we see God carrying um, us as his sons and a a couple other good examples from joshua um joshua 10 says that joshua captured all these kings right so this is these are kings that have come against israel joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time why because yahweh god of israel fought for israel um so i feel like god owns a really strong resume if israelites are taking applications for a king even on the heels of their deliverance by miraculous work of God at Mizpah they used the excuse of Samuel's sons being dirt bags as the reason that they need an earthly king their presenting problem wasn't their real problem but God wasn't surprised at this he knew that Israel would have a king God told Abraham all the way back in Genesis we see it I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you And then about Sarah, uh, his wife, God said, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. God said to Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we have instructions uh, for who the king should be long before the event that we see in First Samuel. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 17, it says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself, Cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the book of the law. Approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him. And he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in the kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Does that job description in Deuteronomy sound like what we're seeing in First Samuel? the warning that God gives Samuel for his people. We have the advantage of kind of having the the whole book now, right? So it's easy for us to know if you're not familiar. um, It never really works out the way that God describes it in Deuteronomy. It actually works out quite the opposite. Um, So we've looked at the scriptures that testify to the expectation of Israel eventually having a human king. But there are a couple of obvious problems with how they came to be where they are in chapter 8. One is their timing. Saying now to God can be just as wrong as saying no to God. And telling God how to solve our problems is problematic. Part of accepting God's will is accepting his timing. Waiting for God's best instead of settling for something less. Even if the plan was for Israel to have a king, you could say that they were maybe 10 years too soon in asking for it. We also need to realize that there's a big difference between asking God for help And telling him how to help. Israel had a problem. Legitimately. Samuel was old and his sons were not following in his ways. Instead of just bringing their problem to God and asking him to help. Israel came up with their own plan. And then they demanded that God do things their way. What they ended up with was a king from the wrong tribe. He came from Judah, not Benjamin. He had the wrong temperament. Saul kind of had a. Fickle nature, a rotten spirit, and weak character. And he was wrong to take. He just took and he took and he took. Saul oppresses his people with a system of arbitrary plundering. Um, He won't be a king that gives. He ends up being a king that takes. So I have bad news for everybody this morning. There are very few bright spots in the kingships of Israel. After Saul gets better for a moment, I want to like... You know, get in front of like somebody's message next week. Steve, maybe. I don't know who's preaching here. But either way, I don't want to tell their story. But it does get better for a moment. And we can be glad for that. Um, But it doesn't last for long. For the people of God, it's a really long, hard road for a really long time. But they shouldn't be surprised at that though, right? God told them that that would happen. I also have more bad news for us today. This isn't just about uh, the Israelites. We are the baboon, right? If you think about it, when we read these stories, I know, like as a young buck, I was like, "Wow, the Israelites were morons." Um, it was just like all these things that they did. It was like they couldn't see like their hand in front of their face. Um, and then as I got older, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm Israel." I do the same things over and over and over and sometimes I perpetuate my problems because I keep trying to solve them um, on my own. We reject God as our king and we perpetuate our problems with our own answers and solutions. We even blame him for the messes we're in and when he doesn't give us the answers we want when we want them we conclude that he's either unloving or impotent Or just uninterested. But I also have good news. You ready for it? God promises a better king. And God sent the king he had planned to send all along, the greater David, to reign over Israel. He's a benevolent king. He doesn't take, he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he keeps giving. There's no end. To his goodness. If I had to pick a main point this morning, usually we cut to the chase with our main points, like on the front end of a sermon, I'm closer to the back end. I know at least you're hoping so. Um, I would say that my main point this morning is this. Jesus is a better king. And maybe for yourself, you could ask yourself, or maybe like fill in the blank would be a better way to say it. Jesus is a better king than... And you can fill that in for yourself. Um, I know what that looks like for me. Submitting to the role and reign of Jesus in my life hasn't been easy. Um, this journey of surrender has been 46 years of trying to figure out most things on my own. And sometimes inviting Jesus in to, to do it for me. Um, but I would just encourage you this morning to think about where Jesus is a better king in your life than that thing that you have replaced him with. Jesus gave up his position in heaven to come to earth in the form of a man. I want us to hear the gospel. Taking on human flesh. Jesus is the true king of Israel. Yet like Samuel, you see a lot of parallels in these Old Testament stories to where we are today, right? He was rejected by his people, even to the point of crucifixion. Jesus suffered death on a cross for deliverance from the things that entangle us and pull us under. But he didn't stay dead. He gave his life and conquered death so that we could have life, life abundant and everlasting. His invitation is to be saved and to be made whole and to join him in bringing good news to people's bad news. He invites us to partner with him to bring his kingdom to bear everywhere that we go. I already mentioned that I found surrendering to Jesus' kingship to be hard. I've been reading my Bible, praying, and going to church every Sunday, all that good stuff for as long as I can remember. I'm like Daniel Rossi, King 2.0 in the Alliance System here. Um, but I feel like, not in that regard, I guess I shouldn't say that about you. Yeah, I just meant that, like, we share this journey together. Um, so yeah, don't, don't take that as me saying that Daniel had the same struggle. That was terrible. Um, strike that from the record, Facebook. Um, but what I mean is that, like, yeah, my experience has often left me wanting. Like, I was doing all the right stuff, but I wasn't submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in my life. Um, And so for me, like, there's been a journey that I would say has been more recent um, than not, where I just feel like I'm coming to understand what that looks like for me. And I know that some of you are probably a lot further ahead than I am um, in that journey, but I just want to share with you real quick um, what that has personally looked like for me. And it's, it's really simple. It's two things, and I'm not sure which one came first. Um, It's been learning to cultivate intimacy uh, with Jesus. And the second piece of that is sometimes out of like conviction and just straight up determination, being willing to go on mission with him. I won't even tell you that it's honestly always been like especially spiritual for me. Um, But there are these two things that began to happen in my life. And honestly, it was fueled by watching other people go uh, before me and thinking, I see what's happening in their lives and I want that for my life. And I began to see them change, and some of the things I saw were happening where they were cultivating intimacy with the Father at a level that I just hadn't seen before. Um, and then they were going out on mission, and I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff just didn't, didn't land for me. Um, I'm just gonna call them out, and I didn't ask for permission, but Steve was one of those guys. Um, Joel was another one, and they just started doing some stuff that was new, um, that was unfamiliar, and it was, it was compelling to me. Um, and I think we have a choice when we see people going before us in faith. Um, we, need, we can either, like, come under that, right, and pursue it, um, or we can run from it. And and praise God for Brooke and I as, as, like, a family, We're Like, you know what? If that can be true for Joel and Steve and for some other folks, um, what we see as being better and different in their life as they submit to the rule and reign of Jesus, I think it can be true for us, too. And so we just begin to cultivate intimacy with Jesus in our lives. Um, like Brooke would talk about, like just soaking in God's presence, um, just sitting with Jesus and telling Him all your stuff, and being in His Word and like worshiping Him. Like worship was like a jam for Brooke, right? She would just sit in God's presence. For me, it's like just being outside or just being in a place where I can rest and hear from the Father. But just sitting in God's presence and cultivating intimacy. And I wasn't just doing that alone. Um, I learned to do it with all of you. Um, we do that on Sunday mornings, and for for me, like we do that in a missional community. Um, but we had just learned to sit in God's presence and develop intimacy with the Father. And out of that intimacy, we feel like we're fueled for mission. And so the th- second thing for me was actually doing the stuff that Jesus said that we could do, the things that he invited us to do. And we don't have to go on our own. He actually does it for us. We just have to go along with him. And so that, for me, was just going out on mission. And I remember, like, when Steve and Joel would talk about and John Jordan um, talking about going to the Mall at Robinson just to, like, pray for people on, my like, hard pass. Um... Like, nope, I'm an introvert. Um, I love like having that as an excuse, to be honest with you. Like like Brooke's an extrovert. Um, I'm an introvert, so it's like Brooke makes friends with like everybody. Quick story. We flew to Florida a couple weeks ago. I knew it was going to happen. Brooke tried to put me in the middle seat, first of all. Never going to happen. Um, there was a lady on the aisle. I was like, "No, no, no, like you're going to sit next to somebody because you're going to talk to them. Or you're going to talk over me. Um, so I'm going go to the window. So Brooke ends up sitting next to this lady. We know all, like, all kinds of like, mutual people. I would have never found that out because I would have never asked. Um, Brooke ends up making friends with this lady. They share contact information. Brooke is sending her references for like, HVAC work and electrical work, all this like, stuff that this lady might need for help with her rental property. And wouldn't you know it, she shared an Uber with us all the way from the airport to Fort Lauderdale, about an hour away. Um, why? Because they became friends. And then when we got out of the Uber, we kept going a little bit further south. We're all hugging. Um, we just met this lady in the airplane. Um, and the airplane is this place for me to like sleep or read, some of both. Uh, for Brooke, it's a place to make friends. But hey, I'm an introvert, right? so I use this as an excuse. Um, and, and I'll tell you, as recent as last night, um, our daughter Elle loves to watch The Chosen. Um, but if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I'm just so encouraged by it. Um, and we were watching The Chosen last night, and I thought, oh. Jesus appears to be a bit of an introvert, too. And do you know why I say that? Because people told me that I might be an introvert because I recharge in solitude. Well, guess where Jesus recharges? In solitude. So I'm like, I don't have an excuse. If Jesus was actually an introvert, I I can't use that as an excuse not to be out on mission. Um, But where he recharged was in solitude with the Father, right? And that leads him to go out on mission um, and share the, the gospel of hope that he was sent to bring. And so, for me, that's what it's looked like. Um, and as I've learned to cultivate intimacy, and as I've gone out on mission, and I will tell you it's different than it used to be for me, and it's a joy. I will tell you one of the most fun things that I do is just get together with, like, a friend. And it doesn't have to always be with a friend, but I definitely recommend going um, with somebody, partner up. You know, it's, it's super cool to be able to share. But just going out to share the love of Christ with people, like to actually intentionally embody Christ, Invite the Holy Spirit, just go out and encourage people, pray for people, listen to people. Um, and man, like I come away from those, those times, any time that we do it, just changed uh, because of my encounter with God. It just becomes easier then to submit to his lordship because I know what it's like to hear him. Right? I become more familiar with him because we're actually hanging out. We're doing stuff. And sometimes it's in solitude and silence. And sometimes it's in partnership with him um, at the Beaver Valley Mall on a Wednesday night. Not a lot going on, but Art and I were there. We were praying for people. Uh, we were just sharing the love of the Father. And I have some really cool stories from that night alone that you don't have time for this morning. I'd love to tell it sometime, though, if you'd if you like to hear it. But, um, so, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you with that this morning. Um, that Jesus is a better king. He's a better king than whatever that thing is uh, that you've substituted him with. And if you want to grow in your understanding and your ability to submit to his lordship... I would just encourage you to submit to him in intimacy and action, just following him wherever he might take you.